0: Good to see you here tonight. We are coming up on Thanksgiving week, uh, coming up next week, and I know people have a lot of plans. There are several people that will be traveling. There are several people in our church that are traveling right now, so I know we need to be in prayer, uh, prayer for those, just for the safety of everybody uh, going from place to place. <clears throat> But we are going to have church Wednesday night. I want to let you know a, uh, a week ahead of time. Next Wednesday night it will be the the night before Thanksgiving Day. It's a wonderful time. I love this time of year between now and, and Thanksgiving and Christmas. And uh, it's just a wonderful time. But we are going to have just a, a, like a, a, a prayer meeting, but a time of Thanksgiving where we I'll have a, a, something I'm trusting the Lord to give me, like a little devotional. But I want you to come, if you would, uh, just with some type of thanksgiving on your heart, something that we can offer up to the Lord. We all have something to be thankful for and really pray about it. Lord, what would you have me to share? Maybe you already know what it is. I know Buck shared uh, Sunday night just about, you know, finding this knife that he lost, and it seems so simple. But the things that we can thank God for, there are so many Uh and it's been a, a strange year, it's been a, a difficult year in a lot of ways, but we have much to be thankful for. So just come and, and we'll, I'll kind of direct us that night, but it's just going to be basically we'll, ha- we'll have some music and we'll have uh, something that, like I said, a word from the Lord, but also a time where all of us just come up as God leads and share something up here in the pulpit and just testify for a few minutes of what the Lord's done. So be in prayer for that next Wednesday. I'm going to pray one more time just for this lesson. We're doing our study in Philippians. But Father, we come before you. We thank you for your goodness to us, God. We thank you that you're a father and you have tender compassion and mercy upon your children. You care for us, God. We see it all through the Bible. We see it as Moses bearing the the congregation of Israel, Lord, all through the wilderness and interceding on their behalf. And Lord, that's just a picture of of you, Lord. It's a picture of your kindness and goodness to us. I thank you for taking care of us. I thank you, Lord, for the prayers of your people. I thank you for the people here praying diligently for a house for for us, God, and answering that prayer in such an unusual way and in just such a wonderful time and timing, Lord. And we give you the glory. We give it back to you even now, Lord, that house, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray you'd speak to us through it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all, so we're doing our study in Philippians, and we're going to, we finished chapter 1 last week, so we're going to start Philippians chapter 2. If you would, read the first four verses with me, Philippians 2, 1 through 4. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit if any bowels and mercies. Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now this, this, Section. This is just four verses, but we're going to cover tonight. But it's a it's a message right here, and we'll go back and we're going to break some of these down on this this study on Wednesday nights is a little different than maybe a, a Sunday morning sermon. It's it's more of a study in the Word, and both are very needful. You know, both are are wonderful to edify and build up the body. <coughs> Excuse me. This is an exhortation to. Uh, Christian virtue, I guess you would say, and then performing it. We're always, everything that comes out is to be first a work within. So in other words, our character is transformed to be Christ-like. And then our actions that come out of that, our speech, how we treat other people, you know, how, how we go through life, how we abstain from sin, how we love people, how we love our enemies, it all is a result um, or a fruit of, the inward working of the Holy Ghost in the life of the believer. So both are important, but mainly it's going to be the working within that is evidence without. But I will also say this, that doing the things outwardly when we're saved, I'm not talking about a lost person trying to toe the line of of Christianity. They can't really do it, and it's not going to benefit them in the long run. But if you're really born again and you don't feel like, I just use this all the time, coming to church or coming to prayer or reading your Bible or disciplining your children in the, in the ways of God. You don't really feel like it. Um, but yet we obey the Lord anyway. There is a reward in that. There is a reward from the Lord. It's done by faith. And people might say, oh, you're just doing it in your flesh. And I totally disagree. I, I've done it a thousand times over in my life. And I say you're doing it by faith. We're doing it in obedience to the Lord. In fact, there's nothing more spiritual than obeying Christ. And so it's not in your flesh. I couldn't obey God in my flesh, not consistently. And so I'm talking to the believers when I say this, that that the workings of the fruit of what's going on inwardly and the change and making us more like Christ is evidenced by our works. But a lot of times our works that we do in simple obedience, I don't even know if I would call them works, or just obedience to Christ, whether people notice or don't notice, that the Lord honors that. And I know that I've shared it many times before, but, like, I use myself for an example. When I, I was saved, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I did not have much of a prayer life. I prayed and I read my Bible, but I can't say I really had a prayer life, if you know what I mean. And the Lord dealt with me about that, specifically in a verse where, where Jesus rebuked his disciples the night of his betrayal and said, uh, what, could you not pray one hour? I know you all have heard this, but, uh, and I was reading that, and I got very convicted by the Lord. I wasn't condemned. Nobody was condemning me. The devil wasn't condemning me. I was convicted by the Lord, which is a good thing. And so he put it on my heart and mind. This wasn't a big group project. This was me and the Lord. And he put it on my heart to get up an hour earlier than I would normally get up. I don't remember what I was doing. I was doing some construction work in between traveling and, and singing like Dee and I were doing. And so I set my clock an hour earlier, and it. I didn't feel like it. I didn't feel like getting up. I didn't feel like praying. I would pray five minutes, and I would exhaust all the things I could think of to pray of in about five minutes. And yet, the Lord honored it. I kept, I spent that hour, if you know what I mean. I took a solid hour, whether it's six to seven, whatever it was. um, And the Lord began to, through that, do the work in my heart. Does that make sense? So, I mean, he told me what to do. I can't say it was in my feelings. It didn't just flow naturally. There was a simple obedience in doing it. And the Lord honored that. And it was like a breakthrough. You know, anybody that's ever done any kind of distance running, I can remember the first time I did that. I played sports all my life, but I never really went out and, like, say, run three miles or five miles. I was always doing pickup basketball or playing football or whatever. And I remember in college when all those high school sports days were over that a friend of mine says, man, you ought to go do some, some running. I couldn't run around the block. I was about to pass out, and I'm thinking, this is crazy. I'm 21 years old or whatever. It was pitiful, but it was something I haven't hadn't done much of, and I just kept on and kept on running that far, and, and finally there comes like this breakthrough. I'm not saying I could run a marathon, but it got to where whatever that was that was like a hindrance holding me back, they call it like a runner's block almost, and that you break through it and, and you can go three miles all of a sudden. I was going around the block and now I'm going three miles, you know, but it comes as you do it. So having said all that, what we're talking about here in Philippians is working. He's going to talk about unity. He's going to talking about things that we do, but they're going to be more of things that are in our hearts to do. And God has to put it in our hearts but he puts it in by his spirit he puts it in by his word and I just want to encourage you to to keep on you might have something in your life that's like that where you say I'm doing it but I sure don't feel like it uh, I know I'm supposed to I see the scripture I'm going to do it I would encourage you to keep doing it do it and do it as unto the Lord and offer it up to God and say Lord I'm praying that hour or whatever he puts on your heart to do but I'm struggling I really need you to help me but keep doing it anyway. Don't sit on the couch watching football until he zaps you. Keep doing what you're supposed to do, and God's going to come alongside and comfort and strengthen and encourage. That's, that's really something I believe is biblical, and I believe it's, I know it's something he's taught me. So let's go back and look at it. He says, starts it out with if. The whole chapter starts with the if. If there be any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any bowels and mercies. And so it starts with the if, and he lists four things here. Consolation in Christ, that simply means encouragement, okay? Comfort of love, uh, fellowship of the Spirit, bowels of mercy. This means this, the bowels, we, we don't use it that way. You wouldn't put it on a Valentine's card or an anniversary card. I love you with all, you know, my bowels. But this was an expression um, in, it, in, to, in, in, you know, in the expression of their thoughts. It would have meant the seat of the affections in the, in the inward parts. Okay, uh, Bowels of mercies. It's tender compassion is what the mercies are. So if there is to be genuine unity in the body, believers have to show these things. And this is what he's dealing with. He's dealing with unity. And unity would be very much a second, uh, I will say secondary, but maybe it's not even a secondary theme to the book of Philippians. We all, we all know we talk about joy. Philippians, every commentary you pick up says the theme is joy, rejoicing in trials. And there's no doubt about that. But this, this is intertwined all through this epistle is the unity of the church. And for there to be true unity, <coughs> these things need to be present in the individual believers within the body. Amen. It's genuine care for each other. Our consolation, if there be any consolation, has to be in Christ. Amen. If there be any consolation in Christ, if we're going to be comforted or consoled, it's going to be in Christ. It's not going to be in the world. It's not even going to be through other people. It's going to be the Lord in other people. Okay. He does send us people, and I thank God for that. But the consolation is in Christ. Uh, the If there's any confidence in love. And this is true Christian love. Amen. It's holy love and it's heavenly love and it's happy love. Uh, and that any fellowship, true fellowship that he talks about is going to be in the spirit. Any fellowship in the spirit. This is true fellowship and it's not just... Uh, Again, I think sometimes in the church where we think of fellowship, we have to schedule a fellowship. We're scheduling a men's fellowship. We actually don't end up having as many as we talk about having. It seems like time gets away from us. But a ladies' fellowship, a men's fellowship, a dinner on the grounds. And we, we think those are fellowships, and they are. But this is fellowship, okay? Remember that. This is fellowship. We could be home tonight individually. Everybody in this room has got a lot of stuff to do. We are behind on something, whether it's, you know, yard work, a a home project, something in school, something at work. And we could be doing something else, but we've chosen to be here. This is fellowship. We're studying the word. we're, We're ministering. We're singing praises to God and worshiping the Lord. But it is fellowship and it's fellowship in the spirit. And one pastor said, well, the spirit has the right of way, the Holy Spirit, there is unity, joy, peace, and love among the body. Amen. So he starts off with if these four things be in the, uh, if there be any consolation in Christ. And the answer that we know, it's almost like a rhetorical thought. Those things are present in the Lord. If we yield to the Holy Spirit, we don't have to work to achieve those things so much as allow the Lord to to produce that in the lives of the the believers. Those things are definitely present. If those things are there, verse 2, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love. This is the uni- unity part that we're talking about. Uh, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And so this is unity. It's a Christ-likeness that produces it. And we've talked about unity a lot as well. The unity doesn't come because, you know, Valerie and Katie and Alberto and I get together and say, we've got our differences, Let, let's be unified. The unity comes as we walk. There might be a, an occasion where we had to get something straight between us. But the, the unity comes, is, is, it's the unity of the Spirit, it says in Ephesians. It is a unity that the Holy Spirit, I would say n- naturally, but it's actually supernaturally produces in the church, among believers, in the sense that if uh, A.W. Tozer used this example, I've shared it many, many times. Some of you may have read it. I, I forgot which book it was in. But he said that um, if you had 100 pianos in one room, we have about 100 chairs set up in here. If you had 100 pianos in a big room and they were, you wanted to tune them, you don't tune piano number one with tune number two and number two with number 40. That's not how you tune 100 pianos. You tune them all to a tuner. And if they're all tuned, all 100, or it could be a 1,000, however many in there, if everyone is tuned to the tuner, perfect pitch in the tuning instrument, then they will naturally be in tune with one another. You don't have to worry about that part. And so the, the striving on our part would simply be to individually to abide in christ you might have things going great in your life right now and the guy or woman or young person sitting next to you is going through the biggest trial of their life right now we need to be in tune to the lord we need to, to bear one another's burdens but if we're walking all hundred of us are seeking the lord with all of our hearts not that we're perfect but we are dialed in and seeking the lord and being spiritually minded He'll show us things about one another. He will uh, show us things about ourselves. And without striving that hard, we will be in in tune, so to speak, with one another. One accord, one mind. And I think that's very, very, uh, I know it's very important. The Lord stresses it all through his word. And so when he says, fill ye, fulfill ye my joy, he's actually, that actually means uh, to fill up to the full. So it's not just increase my joy, Paul says. And these things, if, if, if these things were taking place, this unity in the body of Christ with the Philippians, it was going to make Paul joyful. He says this is going to fulfill my joy, even though I'm in prison. It's going to make me joyful if I hear you're doing well and you're walking together in unity of the Spirit and so forth. And so it means to fill up to the full and that 's what how God wants us to be like minded, okay, be of the same mind, the same regard. be careful, one minister said, and care, be careful and care, keep thinking the same thing, uh, unity and thought and unity and purpose, and that is something we do pray, pray over and pray about okay again if we 're all seeking the lord we'll we 'll be there we 'll get there very quickly, but uh, one accord, one mind. One commentary said it's actually a union of souls when it says one of cord. One of that our, our, we're at unity of souls. And so look at verse 3. I want to spend most of the time in verses 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now, that's one thing to, uh, it's one thing to read that in your Bible And me to read it in my Bible, it's another thing to actually live that way, isn't it? I mean, to to esteem others better than ourselves is not something uh, that we would normally do. But the first part of that in verse 3 says let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Now strife simply means selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. And vainglory means conceit self-display, a desire to be number one. So I'll just say it right now. I'll say it to myself. I'll say it to you. The Lord is saying it. Nothing in the church is to be done that way. Nothing. Not in the pulpit. Not on the platform. Not singing a solo. Not playing an instrument. Not anything. Not the way we dress and walk in the building. Nothing. Nothing is to be done through strife or vain glory, okay? It is uh, those things, if that is your motivation or my motivation, then I need to go to the Lord and get that right. And just, it's a simple truth, but we've seen it. And we could easily see it again. We need to guard against that in Jesus' name. That if that is our motive, done with strife or vainglory, a self-display, a conceit. So put the two together, a selfish ambition. Should anything in the church and the house of God be done with a selfish ambition, with the individual uh, after something themselves? And, I'm, you know, one pastor said, wherever you find people interested in gathering a clique around themselves or promoting their own interest there you will find the seeds of contention and strife. So if somebody wants to get their little group together around them, or they are only interested in promoting their own interest within a group of believers or within the house of God or within the church, they're, they're interested in their, getting their own agenda through, so to speak, you're going to find contention and strife. I would say it's already there if that's what's going on. And so... This will actually destroy a church. doesn't mean it's going to send people to hell. I'm talking about a church body, a local assembly, or maybe even a, a group of churches together. This contention and strife, if it's present and allowed to go on, will destroy a church. There's no question about it. Humility is going to build it up. True godly humility, not the false kind of humility where you say, look how humble I am. But True humility will build it up, but this, this strife and vainglory is going to destroy it. So the safeguard against that, the, the safety that the body has, is what's, what's right here. The answer to me is all of this, but look at the second half of verse 3. So he says, Don't let anything be done in strife and vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves this to me is the answer. Lowliness of mind is simply humility, a deep sense of one's own littleness, one's own littleness. And a lot of times we have a deep sense, we might cover it very well outwardly, but we have a deep sense of our own self-worth. And we know today everything from the schools, the TV shows, uh, churches today, uh, purpose-driven. Everything is is about self, self-esteem, self-love, self-forgiveness, self-acceptance. I think there was five of them or seven of them. I don't. I lost count. But it's self, it's self. Okay, and we need to do everything through lowliness of mind. It is a deep sense of one's own littleness, where we actually prefer one another. We actually esteem others. That means to value others. Their well-being above our own. That, you know that that's supernatural. That's not something you just snap. In, okay, tomorrow I'm going to start esteeming others better than myself. We can't. We can do the outward show of that. But to genuinely in our heart of hearts esteem somebody else better than, than me um, is, has to be a work of the Lord. Everything has to be a work of the Lord. When you get right down to it, Jesus said, apart from me you can do nothing. So, this has to be something that he has to do. There's no doubt he has to do it. And I need him to do it more in my life. We all do. But it is a self forgetfulness, not just minimizing ourselves all the time. And again, I've said this before we go around with our head dragging the ground. And we kind of, I'm pitiful. I'm not strong like you. I can't sing like you. I can't play an instrument like you. You're better looking than I am. I'm pitiful. I'm, that's not humility. That's just drawing attention to yourself in some perverted, roundabout way. That's all it is. Pride is still all about you, isn't it? It's all about you. But the, the best definition I ever heard of humility is uh, D.L. Moody said, it's not thinking merely thinking uh, lowly of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. That's that's amazing. Let that sink in. We're not thinking of yourself at all. You're seeing others genuinely. I'm seeing the need over here, you know, for a job. I'm seeing a need over here for for burdens and things that people have, and and not thinking how it's going to come back on me and look make me look good. It's just all about the Lord and about serving others. That's an amazing thing, but God can do that, amen, but that's really what it is. It's a forgetfulness, self-forgetfulness, and an actively serving others, and one one said that this spirit most resembles Christ, and I don't know that I can argue with that, most resembles Christ. Of course, the love and everything resembles Christ, holiness, but the... the uh, Lowliness, because even Jesus said in Matthew eleven, "Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, Take my yoke and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. I am, the great I am. Okay, the one who called the Pharisees whitewashed sepulchers and so forth, and you're of your father the devil and so forth. This one who said, if you don't repent, you're going to perish. He says, I'm meek and lowly in heart, and it's. Take my yoke and learn of me, he says. You'll find rest for your souls. And it's learning of Christ. It's not learning about Christ. It's learning Christ. Learning Christ by the education of the Holy Ghost within and the Word of God. Amen. Being changed, not only being taught. And so this doesn't mean, by the way, where he says, let each esteem others better than themselves. It does not mean that we... Let's say that there's a, an atheist or a mocker or a, a railer on Christ and we just go, you're, you're so much better than me. That's, I don't think that's the picture there, that you're morally superior to me and, and I'm a believer and they're lost. I don't think that's the picture. The picture is a selfishness, unselfishly giving of ourselves, genuinely concerned with the others. Amen. Genuinely concerned with them esteeming others. It doesn't mean that that we just um, are are foolish about it in, in the things we say or do. We put the other people's interests above our own. And again, it's one thing to read it. It's another thing to actually do it. I want you to turn with me quickly to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Let's look at verse 3, and then we'll skip down to 16. Romans 12, 3. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. That's like a sober mind, right? A serious right estimation of ourselves. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. There it is kind of restated again. In verse 16, be of the same mind. Here's the unity. One toward another, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. We see this humility woven all through the epistles, all through the word of God. Uh, I had the privilege of teaching the college uh, Bible, career Bible study uh, recently. And the, the, the subject that I was given in First Samuel was, was Saul. And, and Samuel confronting him, his failure to do what God had called him to do in destroying the Amal- Amalekites. And, and the the rebuke to him was Samuel said, From, on behalf of the Lord, he's speaking to the king who had failed, and he said, when you were little in your own eyes, didn't I make you ruler and shepherd of my people? Why have you done this thing and not obeyed the word of the Lord? He got lifted up. He got lifted up. It mattered. His reputation mattered. His kingdom mattered. His appearance before the, his soldiers and the people mattered more than any, uh, anything to do with the Lord. And that was his downfall. And it was quite a fall that Saul fell on. But we're to, we're to be humble, a true humility. Amen? To see ourselves rightly. Now, nothing, nothing in the church uh, should be done to bring glory to yourself. Nothing in the church body, I don't just mean here meeting in the building in our church service, but in the body of Christ, nothing should be done to bring praise to self. That is actually sin. That is sin. It's not a little mess up. It's sin. And Jesus, uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, According as it is written, let him that glorieth glory in the Lord. Don't bring glory yourself and that's right after he said hadn't God chosen the weak things and the foolish things to confound the wise and the mighty Wh- whose glory is it going to be for? for the Lord's not for mine and not for yours and if we start taking the glory to ourselves even in a roundabout way uh, God's going to know our hearts and he's going to knock us down a peg or two it'd be a whole lot better for us to humble ourselves than have God have to humble us amen remember that we all get lifted up. We all sin. Everybody in this room, we, we have things that we have to ask God to forgive us of. But when we check our own hearts and can cut it off quickly to where it doesn't have to bring shame to the Lord and publicly and, and so forth and, and hurt the testimony of Christ and hurt our testimony for Christ. Again, way better to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord than to have the Lord humble you publicly before men. He'll do it. He is not going to share his glory with another in that sense. He will absolutely do it. There needs to be a healthy fear. This can't go on forever. If I know in my heart I'm lifted up and I'm getting lifted up in the church and I'm riding on some wave of public opinion or whatever or or appeal, God is going to humble me. And we need to watch it. We need to watch each other on that. Amen. God is, is gracious. He doesn't mean he'll be done with us, but he'll He'll teach us. And so nothing in the church would be done to bring glory to ourselves or to, to draw attention to ourselves in that sense. There was a man, we don't really even know him. I read it, you've read it in, in Third John, it's only one chapter, verse 9. It says that there's, Diotrephes was this man in the body. This is all we know about him, as far as I know, who loved Loves to have the preeminence among you. That's not a good thing. It wasn't a good thing that Diotrephes loved to have. He loved it. I want to have the preeminence among the people in the church. That's not a good thing. And so that's prideful, and God's not going to allow it. Amen? And so there are people that might think that God can't do without them. He can do without you. He can do without me. God needs me. I'm the man. I'm the woman, I'm the this, I'm the that. We wouldn't say those words. We would never say that. We're too smart. But we think that. And I can tell you, not only can God get along without you and me, He, he if that was our attitude, he's already getting along without us. We're not really being used by the Lord anyway, if that was our attitude. So last verse. Look not every man on his own things. Now, this goes right with esteem in others better than ourselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. We're going to close with this this thought. Um, Every man, lost or saved, you know, immature Christian, carnal Christian, holy Christian, every man has no trouble looking out for, for their own concerns and their own things. Anybody can do that. That's not a miracle. That's nothing supernatural. That's just in us. But believers are to also, that's what he says, also look on the things of others. It sim- simply means keep an eye out for the good of others. I'm actually noticing. I want to, and I want God wants us all to, I actually want to keep an eye out Looking for what would benefit, you know, uh, Jordan or Patricia or whatever. I want to, so I can pray if nothing else. Whatever God would lead me, I want to keep an eye out for that. We all do it for ourselves. Time to change my tires on my car. I'm looking out for my own concerns. I got a checklist. My, it all revolves around me, right? My house, my this, my that, whatever. I have to my, check up with the doctor, everything. We all look for our own concerns. And it doesn't say that that's sinful, by the way. It doesn't say not to do that. He says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also. So also, we're, we, it's not a sin to look out for our own concerns. It is a, cons- a sin if we're just totally consumed with self. We need to put on equal footing the concerns of others. And God will bless us for that. Uh, a selfish Christian is, is not bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Plain and simply, if I'm a selfish Christian, you can be born again and be selfish. I don't think you can stay that way for long. God's going to deal with you. But we can be born again and be selfish. And it's, uh, it's not the fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the flesh. That's all that is. It's just my flesh, just like I was before I was saved. And maybe I, I paint a real spiritual picture over it, but it's the same thing inwardly it's the same thing and a man of the flesh looks out for number one basically a man of the spirit lives in submission to christ and service to others submission to christ and service to others i want to close with uh two uh, one, one verse and one commentary that i want to read if you turn with me in your bibles to ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2, but before we read this, I wanted to read this. This whole passage, the four verses that we talked about tonight, I want to read this. It says, Many people, even Christians, live only to make a good impression on others or to please themselves. When people are concerned only for themselves, seeds of discord are sown. Paul therefore stresses spiritual unity, asking the Philippians to love one another and to work together With one heart and purpose. When we work together, caring for the problems of others as if they were our own, we demonstrate Christ's example of putting others first and we help to maintain unity. So it's just a simple thought. But y'all, this is Christianity. This is Christianity 101. We all know it, but to live it and walk it out, we need the Lord. We need to be reminded of it. We need God to help us. I'll close with this, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Be ye, therefore, followers of God as dear, dear children and walk in love, as Christ also had loved us and given, hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. We're to walk in love as Christ also has loved us. And that, to me, just kind of sums it up. Y'all stand with me tonight. We're not going to have any uh, music at the altar tonight, but the altar is open for just a few moments. Let's come before the Lord. Let's humble ourselves before the Lord. Let's ask God to help us in this area. It's not a help help so-and-so. It's Lord, help me in this. Lord, not to put on just the outward appearance of humility and preferring one another, but Lord, make that my heart of hearts, God. We ask you in Jesus' name, Lord, we come before you. And Father, we pray for this body, God, that we would walk in such genuine, Holy Ghost unity. I pray, God, that you would help us. I pray that you would help me to, to learn, to be taught by the Spirit of God, to prefer one another to a loneliness of mind, Lord. Help us to esteem others better than ourselves. Help us, God, to do nothing, absolutely nothing, through strife or vain glory. Nothing that is for the purpose, inwardly, uh, the motivation of drawing attention to myself or bringing praise or glory to me. All glory, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. Lord, help us. Thank you that you're patient with us. Thank you that you forgive us when we sin. But Lord, I am also praying on top of that that you would change us and make us more like Jesus, that we would really walk in that. And I want to also thank you tonight, Lord, for the great unity you have blessed us with in this body. I think it's uncommon, and I'm grateful for it. And I thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name.